Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're having a great day today. I was off last week, but I'm back teaching another another portion of God's Word today. So I hope you're ready for that. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to wrap up this chapter today. Three weeks ago, I preached a sermon that it must have touched the nerve. I got some response to that sermon. It, it was a it was a sermon that included Jesus's interactions with the demonic. I said that that demons would use everything and anything they could to distract and dissuade and detour Christians. I, I mentioned several things in that in that sermon about today's culture and and how demons are using these things in an attempt to steal God's glory. I got to tell you, demons are are very real. In today's story, Jesus again deals with the demonic, specifically two possessed men. But before we get to that, I want to explain what possession is. There's a lot of miscon, there's a lot of confusion out there, and and there's a difference between demon possession and demon oppression. Now, demon oppression is when a demon attacks someone spiritually to discourage them, to alter their their good work, even to push them towards sin. They may choose to sin because of this pressure from the demonic. This oppression can happen to any of us. It it even happened to Jesus. Listen to Jesus' response to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised back to life. Now, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. What did Jesus say? How did he respond? He said, this is what the scripture says. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have me in mind with the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, obviously, Peter wasn't Satan. He he was not the devil, but he was being used by him to try and, and keep Jesus from completing his task. Jesus recognized this and he rebuked him. Jesus won. But that is a picture of oppression. Demon, uh, demon possession, on the other hand, is when when a demon completely controls somebody. You know, controls their their thoughts, their actions, or or both. This is the case of the men in the story that we're going to read today. Now, many people are going to ask, can can a demon possess me? Can a demon enter me? Well, some people think that depends on age because their their kid <laughs> he's just out of out of his mind sometimes they would think you know my child is possessed but age really has nothing to do with it the answer biblically is that possession depends on whether or not you're a christian a true christian has been marked by the holy spirit their body is his temple listen to second corinthians 6 15 and 16 what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? On what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How how can a how can a demon take possession over what God has control of? Listen, in in Colossians 1.13, Paul says that God delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And because the Holy Spirit lives, lives in the Christian, it's not possible for a demonic spirit to come in and, and push him out. It's not going to happen ever. If you've been saved, if you've been truly saved, then you now walk in the spirit. You live in the spirit. No demon could ever possess you. Non-Christians, however, they don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Their body is not the temple of God. They've not been sealed for eternity. They can therefore be possessed. They have zero, no spiritual protection. This condition is still a problem today. Demons have not left. They are very much at work. I mentioned three weeks ago that many of the cultural battles in which demons are having in that field day are, are taking place. And I'm not going to take time to repeat that today, but I will say this in addition, that many of the people that you see walking in the streets, flailing their arms, acting so erratic, talking to themselves, hurting themselves, they are likely possessed by demons. Yes, Yes, there are legitimate, I mean, legit mental disorders, but not all people have have these symptoms because of chemical imbalances. Some are suffering from the work of demons. So sometimes we, we will encounter a possessed person. We live here. We may even have to deal with such a person personally, but we, we don't go looking for that. There, there's no teaching in all of the New Testament passages, dealing with spiritual warfare on how to cast out a demon. Believers are told to resist the devil, not to cast him out. Well, enough about that. I just needed to get those things into, into your brain as background when we start reading Matthew chapter 8. So let's get into the story in which demons confronted Jesus in, in these two possessed men. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now a, a herd of pigs, a herd of many pigs, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the herd crashed, or the whole the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all of the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This story is also recorded in Mark chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8. And each of those accounts offers additional details that the others leave out. Now, the, the whole story, when combined with the, the other gospel accounts, is as follows. Jesus got into the boat with the disciples. He went across the, he went across the sea and, and he got out of the boat and entered gatherings. And two possessed men met Jesus there. Now, the other accounts 
record that Jesus met only one man. This is not a mistake. This is not a contradiction. Skeptics will say, aha, right there, see, your Bible is wrong. But there is a logical response to their skepticism. Mark and Luke only recorded one possessed man in their accounts because they chose to focus on that man. They would write additional details about that man. See, Jesus healed two men, but Mark and Luke only focused on what Jesus did for one. So that's not a contradiction. It's not a mistake. It's just a different focus. So we read that at least one of them lived in the tombs and in the mountains. We also read that that at least one of them was naked and in torment. He was cutting himself. He was crying out. Now, both had supernatural strength. Both kept people from walking through there. That's that's That supernatural strength can be uh, an indicator of spiritual uh, demonic possessions. And, and these men had them. Both men possessed were, were in the tombs. And then when they saw Jesus from a distance, they ran to him. And they fell before Jesus. And the demons identified him as the son of God. Demons always know who holds the real power. They Remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The demons know this. They ran to and knelt before Jesus. Now, Jesus commanded one demon to identify himself. And that demon said, Legion, for we are many. Now, notice their response. He said, they they. They recognized Christ and said this, What have you to do with us, O Son of Man? Have you come to torment us before the time? They were, they were afraid. They were afraid of Jesus because they knew their time was limited. The demons were afraid because Jesus could cast them into the abyss. Evidently, there are some demons in the abyss right now. In Jude chapter 6, we read, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. There are some angels, fallen angels, who are in chains right now and held in utter darkness in that abyss. They're fallen angels. And these are probably the the demons, that fallen angels that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 who overstepped their boundaries back then. God dealt with them. Listen to Genesis 6, 1 through 4. When men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. These fallen angels overstepped their natural boundaries, and God chained them and threw them into the abyss. And these particular demons in this story thought Jesus would do the same thing to them. So they asked Jesus instead to cast them into a herd of pigs, and Jesus did. The demons entered into around 2,000 pigs, is what the scripture says. Now that makes sense. There were at least 3,000 demons in these men. How how do I know that? Well, legion refers to a a troop of Roman soldiers who numbered three to 6,000 men. These men were stuffed to the gills with demons and Jesus cast them out and they entered 2,000 pigs and the pigs ran down the steep bank and drowned. Can you imagine that scene? Now notice what the herdsmen did. They ran away. 
They ran away and told the townspeople what happened. Well, why? Why why did they act like this? Well, the herdsmen were responsible to the townspeople. These were their pigs. The herdsmen lost their jobs in one big swoop. They, they would be held responsible for these pigs. The loss of 2,000 pigs was an economic hit. I mean, think about it. They didn't have the money to replace these pigs, so they had to go and tell the people in town and do it quickly or else they would be blamed. Money was lost. People were going to go hungry, not to mention the colossal cleanup that had to be done. This was no minor loss. So the townspeople rushed out there. They showed up and saw one of the possessed men in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus, and they got scared. Well, who is this person who's able to handle these guys that, that has so altered our lives for years that they could do nothing about? It? They had put him in chains, and that didn't work, so they just avoided them. Witnesses to this miracle saw the fear in the townspeople, and they told them what happened. And the townspeople did something that is they regret, I'm sure. The townspeople asked Jesus to leave. Just get out of here. Why? Well, they, they may simply have been scared of him. That's one option. But maybe they were mad at him. He cost them a lot of money. Their pigs were gone. There would be there would be a baking shortage, and the cleanup was was going to cost a lot of money too. All all this that we are told just points to the fact that they asked him to leave for whatever reason. Whatever reason they asked him to leave, so Jesus left. Now, one of those healed men was so grateful that he wanted to travel with Jesus, but Jesus told him he had to go home and be a witness. That man went back home, and that home was the Decapolis. The Decapolis. He went there and witnessed, and people marveled at his story. Now, the Decapolis was made up of 10 cities. 10 cities in the land of the tribe of Manasseh. It was supposed to be Jewish cities, but they were not. They were primarily Gentile cities. That would explain why the pigs were there. You see, Jews couldn't eat pigs by law. But Gentiles did whatever they want with unclean animals. They didn't live by that law. So they had no problem keeping pigs. And because of these animals that God deemed unclean in the law of Moses, Jesus had no problem sending the demons into pigs. Nonetheless, the Decapolis was ten Gentile cities where this, he this healed man went and told the story of Jesus. And that is the whole story when you combine all of the accounts of the three Gospels. There are so many that there are so many applications to make with this story, but but let me just focus on just a few biggies. First, let us be courageous. Jesus has authority over the demonic. These men ran up to Jesus and all their scariness. They had super strength and evil intentions, and they were naked. Did I, don't forget that they were naked. That's enough to scare anyone. And but Jesus was not afraid of these men. On the contrary, he stood there, and these men came and knelt before him. They did this because Jesus had authority over them. Now, let's be honest. If a super strong, <laughs> cut up and bleeding, slobbering naked man ran at me, I'm gone. <laughs> Mike has left the building, but not, not Jesus. But in reality, we don't, we don't need to fear men like this. What's, what's the worst thing they can do to us? Kill us? and send us to the throne of God, they would be helping us. Truth be told, we Christians, we're not afraid of dying, are we? We're not afraid of dying. We know what happens next. We're afraid of how we're going to die. We don't want to hurt. But we need to be courageous. 
That's why Jesus felt the need to teach us in Matthew 10, 26, uh, this very thing. This is what it says. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will be disclosed and or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but I, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen to what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside the father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. This this is why this is why I'm convinced. This is why Jesus said in the Great Commission that you know we are to go into the, all the world with the gospel, and that's scary places. And he included the phrase, "And I will be with you always." But Jesus knew there were scary things in the world, and and he knew we'd be we'd be tempted to be afraid. We're we're afraid of those things, including demons. There's an old legend about Jonathan Edwards, the great revival preacher in the time of the Great Awakening. And and the legend goes something like this. Before preaching a sermon, he was asleep and he felt a, a presence in his room. And he turned over and saw the devil standing in the corner of his room. And he said, oh, it's just you, Satan. And he rode over and went back to sleep. Now, I don't know if that story is true. But that is the exact attitude we are to have towards the devil. So we are to be courageous. Let's be courageous. We serve Jesus, and he has authority over the demonic. But secondly, let's be humble. Let's be humble. The power of Jesus is to be feared. Be courageous towards evil, but be humble towards God. Fear can, and and, and it does sometimes mean something different in the Bible. When we read, for example, in, in Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It means something more than being paralyzed in, fe- in, in fear, in fright. It means to respect something or, or, or someone because of their position or their power. So we respect God because of his power and his sovereignty. He can do whatever he wants. Those demons were afraid of Jesus. They respected him because they they were afraid of him, but they also respected him because he was God. And and rightly so. He could have destroyed them right then. He didn't. He didn't. And I honestly don't know why. That's a great question. I want to ask God that when I see him. Why didn't he just end the presence of those 3,000 or 2,000 demons, however many there were, why didn't he just end their their reign on earth? I, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. We'll ask him. We'll ask him. But we need to be humble toward him. You see, he can do whatever he wants. A lot of people walk around like they own the world. They they live under under entitlement because of who they think they are and what they think they can do. Let me tell you something. These people are fools. The truth is, we can't even exist without his permission, and this includes demons. They're not allowed to do anything without the express permission of God. That's why Satan had to ask God's permission before going after Job and before going after Peter. They, they, they can do nothing on their own. So don't fear them. Fear God. Be humble before an all-powerful God. I have to press on. Number three, let, let's be spiritually minded. Let's be spiritually minded. Most people are more concerned about worldly loss than spiritual gain. I'm convinced that these townspeople in this story were not concerned about who Jesus was. 
Instead, they were upset because he lost them a lot of money. And what did what did that move of asking Jesus to leave, what, what did that cost them? Maybe salvation. They were so upset about the loss of worldly things that they dismissed the one who could offer them every spiritual blessing. What a, what a stupid move. I'm going to tell you, people are no less foolish today. They would rather give up on the blessings of eternity than lose this temporary possessions of the world. I mean, think about it. Why, why do people reject salvation in Jesus Christ today? Because they would lose the right to make their own decisions? Because they would lose their friends that, that accompany them when, when they're doing their, their wicked practices and, and destructive habits? They even have to give up on their resources for the betterment of others. And for the kingdom, they'll have to lose some pride and admit their utter failure to maintain righteous living. See, it it costs people to live as a Christian. And some people are unwilling to give up their resources. That's why they reject salvation. So they say, you know, leave me, Jesus. You just cost me too much. We have to be spiritually minded. We, We cannot focus on the physical. This world has nothing to offer us. Nothing. So we we must be spiritually minded. Number four, I got to press on number four. Let, let, let's be a witness. Let's just be a witness. Save people talk about what Jesus did for them. The, the witnesses of the miracle in this story told the townspeople what they'd seen. They tried to explain it to them. Here's the kicker, though, and, and a lot of people misunderstand this. The witnesses did exactly and completely what God required of them. See, witnesses do precisely what God requires of Great Commission Christians. They're, they're, they tell what Jesus did. Now, it's not up to witnesses to ensure that people accept the truth. In, in fact, these people, these witnesses, they did not succeed in that feat. But listen, you have to catch this or you're going to be down on yourself when they don't accept the truth about Christ. We are not charged with making people accept Jesus as Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're only charged with telling the truth about what Christ did. I have to remind myself of that all the time because I share the gospel multiple times. Most people don't respond, but we have to share the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Many appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth that we are to share. That is what happened. After we share that, we might be given the opportunity to share what that means. Christ died for my sins and was raised back to life. I trusted him to forgive my sins and save me for eternity. And he did that. He saved me. That's exactly what you can do as well. Do that if you want to. That's what we share. If they accept it as truth and believe in Jesus, that's between them and God. We did our part. And God doesn't view us as failures if they do not accept the truth. We were obedient, 
He didn't count us as failures. I shouldn't see, we, we shouldn't see ourselves that way. I simply tell the truth about what Jesus did, how it affected me, how he saved me. I am simply to be a witness of what happened. Save people, talk about what Jesus did. So what have we learned in this story? Well, we've learned we should be courageous. God has authority over the demonic. We should be humble. The power of Jesus is to be feared. We should be spiritually minded. A lot of people are more concerned about worldly loss than spiritual gain. And we should be a witness. Save people talk about what Jesus did for them. So let me ask you, would, would you would you try this? Would, would, would you practice this? Would you accept this truth? Will you, will you share the gospel? Be courageous. Be humble. Be spiritually minded. Be a witness. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Look, if we can start an online conversation together, simply just email me at mike at fbcclover.com. I'd be love to talk about this story or anything else with you. I hope you have a great week. Let me pray for you, then I'm going to cut you loose. So Father, I, I thank you for this word, and I thank you that it applies to our lives. And I thank you that you are in control and you're more powerful than demons, that you have cleansed us and sealed us and marked us and we cannot be possessed by them any longer. Father, help us to fight their oppression. Help us to be courageous uh, toward them. Help us to be humble toward you. Father, help us to focus to focus on the on the eternal things in this world, in the future and not the spiritual things in this world. Father, help us to be a witness of the gospel. And we'll honor you and glorify you in that. In Christ's name, amen. I hope you have a great week. I'll come back next week with another teaching from God's word. We'll start in Matthew chapter nine next Thursday. Well, have a great day and, and email if I can pray with you about anything. Remember, if you're walking with God, he is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.